0: From the EPR Creations studio, this is Unconquered with Doc Staples. As always, I'm your host, Doc Staples. And as always, this show brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price. And Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, along with Shenandoah Newsma of Shenandoah Real Estate at ShenRealEstate.com in the Research Triangle And finally, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. Okay, so we're going to do a mailbag episode before I get into the season preview stuff here, which is going to release pretty rapid fire over the next few days, doing some position previews and all of that leading up to the season preview. Uh, I also want to do more of a national season preview. Uh, this, This season, I'm planning on doing at least one show per week that looks at a little bit more national stuff, uh, national regional type stuff, and and talks through some of that as well. So we're going to see how that goes. But um, time to expand some things out and just see how things things work and see what y'all think as we move forward. So getting into the uh, question and answer stuff. First one comes from James Reeves. We had some struggles last year stopping the run, a lot having to do with thin depth when the starters came out or had to sit out during stretches of the year. Do you feel better about our defensive line this year and its ability to overcome injury situations? Well, that I'm going to get more in-depth with this in the defensive line preview, but uh, in general, I think I can answer pretty pretty confidently that, yes, I think Florida State is in a much better position going into this year in terms of overall depth on the defensive line than they were last year. So, you know, there's still some concerns. Again, we talked last podcast about uh, about you know all the stuff with Lovett being in a boot, of course, when uh, when Bethune broke the rock at the end of at the end of the summer. And working back from that, again, likely due to a cleanup operation for the usual. Hardware stuff that has to happen after the uh, fifth metatarsal surgery, usually you have to get that screw taken out, it often breaks, especially with bigger bodies. So I, again, I expect, if I, if I had to guess, I'm going to anticipate that Lovett is going to be back and healthy. Uh, should be, should be a hundred percent by Clemson, might be close to a hundred percent by, by LSU. Either way, as long as Lovett is on the field and, and ready to roll, then, you know that's basically that's love it last year versus love it this year at that spot starting at the nose tackle position last year he was at the three technique okay whatever and then last year you had Robert Cooper good player now much more of a run stopper and you know a little bit limited in terms of of what he could bring to the table overall but a, but a good player and a, and a guy that has gotten at least uh you know a drink you know cup of something at the uh, at the NFL level so you feel pretty good about those guys you felt good about those guys going into last season but the real issue last year was beyond behind those guys and I don't want to go into the whole defensive line preview here but if you just think about it last year once you got past those guys your third guy was a not fully recovered Briggs and then after that you know basically you were at Malcolm Ray and and a redshirt freshman Joshua Farmer that, that was not great and those guys did get run on a lot last year this year I think Malcolm Ray is probably your sixth or seventh guy on the depth chart instead of your third or fourth and I think that alone tells you kind of where the the depth situation is going into this season so you know I, the, the question of how much they're gonna have in terms of top end at those defensive tackle spots I think you can you can make some arguments about that, and of course the NCAA is going to have their their you know they're going to have the final say on on exactly how deep they are at those tackle spots. But I think you feel a lot better about your depth there. And then the other thing is that last year you had two defensive ends that you felt really good about in terms of going into the year that that, that were going to eat up a lot of snaps, and then Verse got hurt pretty quickly. Well, you know after that. The, the guy that got the most snaps last year, if I remember right, uh, he's now playing at. at he's now going to be on the field at, at Colorado. So you know McClendon, I th- I think got the most snaps. And again, I'm, I'll cover this in the uh, in the actual edge preview that I'm that I'm doing. But you know Patrick Payton was a redshirt freshman, and he was your he was your number t- he was your number three defensive end. And then you know beyond that, you had one. South Carolina transfer and you trade out for another. And I think Edmund is a more physically talented South Carolina transfer than, than what you had with Keir Thomas last year. So that's probably a push. And then Byron Turner, if he's healthy, I think gives you a little bit more explosive overall body than what you had for your number four guy last year. So, uh, and, and that, of course, your number four guy was the guy that led you in snaps last year with, with McClendon. So I think overall the edge position is probably a little bit better than last year going in as well in terms of overall depth, but, but we'll, we'll talk more about that when we get into those, into those podcasts or into those um position previews. So yeah, I think that is going to make a pretty big difference and, and, and we'll spend a lot more time on that shortly. Okay. Next uh, question comes from steak fan and hard to argue with that. Uh, can Fenchel Cypress live on an island and shut down NFL talents like uh, Gabe neighbors and Antonio Williams? <sighs> it's an interesting question. Um, my, my initial reaction to that is no, I don't, I don't think he's that level of live on an island and just kind of no safety support. And you feel like he can cover anybody kind of corners uh, for one thing. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, a a guarantee that he's one of the two best corners on this on this team this year. So you know, yes, you went out and you got him, and he was all ACC last year at Virginia, and he was a good player at Virginia. But remember, Virginia plays a little bit of a different scheme than Florida State does. And secondly, this year Jerry and Jones is the healthiest he's been essentially since transferring to Florida State, and he's played well in camp from by all accounts. But the guy that really to keep an eye on there as that, you know, if you want to talk about, about a guy that could potentially become a a lockdown guy is A.Z. Thomas. Now, Cyprus might well be ahead of him right now, but Thomas, I think, is actually the more physically talented player. And as his technique continues to catch up and all of that, that becomes really interesting. Now, your best corner on the team is Renardo Green. He's going to be your number one. The real question coming into this year was going to be whether or not they were going to have a number two who was good enough to basically give them some flexibility to where they felt like they could cover one on one a good bit with those corners. Cause Florida State, a lot of people talk about FSU living in cover two last year and, and, you know, too high and just playing a too high shell and, and trying to keep things in front of them and, and all of that. And that's not entirely accurate. They were in a two, two safety look, a middle of the field open look a lot last year. But that's partly because their base defense, just like Alabama's base defense and Georgia's base defense and, you know, a lot of teams in college football, their base defense these days is cover is is some version of cover four. And really, it's a it's the version of cover four that everybody's running is what's called cover seven, which is a little bit of a misnomer. But it's a it's a man match uh, cover four Coverage. So it's, it's in the cover four family, but it's not a true cover four where you have, you know, guys dropping to a four deep zone. Instead, you have two safeties that are that are playing flexibly and they're going to take vertical releases to their to their deep zones, to their deep quarters. But they'll also play over the corner if there's no vertical. Uh, they'll, they'll support the corner from the inside if there's no vertical uh, to their spot. They'll, you know, come down. If there's no vertical to their spot and, you know, there's some sort of outbreaking route, there's a variety of different read or match principles that, uh, that, that are in play with this defense. And it puts a lot on safeties. It puts a lot on the corners. There's got to be a lot of communication with those sorts of things. But one of the things that, that if that is going to be your base defense and you're going to play a lot of cover seven, Well, there there are some things that you that you really would like to have in place. And, you know, I've talked to different coordinators. Uh, One coordinator I talked to said, we'd love the base in cover seven, but we don't have the corners for it. And Florida State last year, there were times where they, they played a decent amount of cover seven and against the teams that they felt like they could play cover seven against. They suffocated those teams. But those were teams that didn't have that number one wide receiver that didn't have a quarterback or wide receiver combination that could scare you down the field. And against those teams, they played a lot of of too high, but it wasn't true cover two. It was more cover seven stuff. Again, it was only against the teams that had legit quarterback, wide receiver combinations that scare you downfield. And you felt that they felt they couldn't single cover with on the outside at corner that they were able to, uh, That they were, that they did a lot more. They did a lot in, in those cases of, uh, cover two man type looks and some, you know, family, some match family stuff of, you know, some sort of cover two. So they did do some of that, but it wasn't all season and it wasn't, you know, something that they did, you know, regardless of opponent or anything like that. The, the, the thing that they ran into is that they felt like green could cover. And he, he did really well. Actually, he did well against even the better receivers on, on the schedule. I mean, AT Perry got him, but it was great coverage and he just didn't finish. And that was the case in a couple, in a couple of uh, situations where he was right there, great coverage and just had to finish punching the ball out, that sort of thing. But he's in, he's, he was good enough last year that you felt like he could play on an island with a lot of guys, but the number two guy, that was a work in progress last year. And that's why they went out and got Cyprus. Because ideally, if Cyprus is is becomes your number one guy and Green becomes your number two guy, then you've gotten that much better. Otherwise, you've gotten a guy that's pretty close to as good as Green as a number two guy, and now you can you can feel pretty good about going out there and not having a significant weakness if the number one guy is, you know, can more or less be handled by by green and a little bit of a combination over the top that sort of thing but then they've got a really good number two that was what killed them a lot last year when you had you know teams like wake forest that had two or three really good receivers it was the number two guy that 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 got shelled so that's the real that's the real question and i do think cyprus and i think in the in the uh in the way that he's come into camp and in the way that he's played in camp, Thomas and maybe even Jones I mean'm I'm, I'm, I'm still a little bit juries out on that situation, but at least Cyprus and Thomas, I think the the traits are there and you know I've seen enough from those guys to, to think that they can cover well enough that they're not a liability now there's a difference between that and going out and living on an island and shutting down NFL talents I, I don't think that's very common first of all. That's that's uncommon at the NFL level. That's unco- that's even more uncommon at the college level. But what you want is you want a guy that's not going to just, you know, smell like burnt toast every couple drives. You don't want a guy that's giving up freebies. You don't want a guy that's giving up a lot of free verticals. And actually, if we talk, if you go back to last year, one of the things we talked about, and again, I'll talk about this in in the uh, defensive back preview, the corners preview. You go back two years and. The, the real issue that, that Florida State had two years ago is that they gave up a lot of verticals, gave up a lot of free verticals, a lot of that. They played well in a lot of games defensively, but then they just gave up too many vertical routes that, that killed them. So last year they made a pointed emphasis on not allowing a bunch of verticals to beat them. So now this year, the, the real trick is, can they take away those verticals like they did last year? And a lot of that was, you know, corner technique and some of the things that they did. Some of it was going to more cover two stuff against more dangerous receivers, that sort of thing. But some of it was was being a little bit better at corner. Can being that much better and that much deeper at corner this year mean that they not only can take away those verticals, but start to take away some of the underneath stuff. And then they start to, that's when you start to get really, really good defensively. In any case, I think Cypress and Thomas, opposite green are probably going to be good enough that they're not going to give up a bunch of verticals. They're not going to, to be liabilities. And I think that in itself makes the, the, the Florida State defense better. All right, next question. And I don't remember who this is from, so sorry about that. Hey, GM Jason, I have a random question. Why is there so much hype around LSU? Not saying that it's not justified, but how much of last year was LSU being good Versus how much of it was them taking advantage of Bama not being up to par and the SEC West being a bit down in my observation. Conversely, why does FSU have more doubters and regarding their hype, I hear a lot of I have to see to believe remarks. Wouldn't you be more doubtful of a team that had instant success after their first year with a head coach versus a program that's in their fourth year of building with their coach? It's a really good question. And I think there's a pretty simple answer to this. As a general rule, if you want to to predict the hype machine for the next year what you want to do is look at the last two games of any team's season in particular the bowl game if a team returns its quarterback and you know generally has a, a decent number of returnees and even and that's not even always necessary if a team blows out its opponent in a bowl game that team is almost always going to carry a ton of momentum into the next year in terms of hype, not necessarily, they they don't necessarily wind up better. In fact, I've seen a couple things that, you know, the predictive nature of blowouts and and, and success in bowl games does not actually transition, does not actually transfer over from one year to the next. There's just too many variables in play there uh, from motivation of teams to the kind of matchup that you get to differences in personnel and leadership between year, year to year and guys sitting out, all sorts of things. But let's remember the last time anybody saw LSU, they were finishing up a blowout bowl win, sixty-three to seven over Purdue. Now, look, I don't think that Purdue team was all that great, and that was also a Purdue team that was losing their their head coach. That I think their I think their head coach had already left by that point. But you win your bowl game sixty-three to seven over a Big Ten team, over a Power Five opponent. And that's pretty much always going to translate into a bunch of hype. And you do so after an SEC West title and you return your quarterback and a lot of talent on your team and you have a blue blood brand, that's going to translate into a top five preseason ranking pretty much every time. It's real simple. Now, as for FSU, folks, first of all, remember 2017 to 2021 very strongly. So LSU has been good more recently than FSU has from 2017 to 2021, Florida States not, was not very good, right? They were, they were very average in in a couple of those seasons, pretty below average team. Then you pair that with a blue chip ratio. So a lot of people have latched on to a a, a nice metric and I, and I give hats off to, uh, to Bud Elliott for pointing out this, this nice metric. It's a very useful heuristic to highlight who actually has a chance to to win it all based on prior, you know, year data. Now, as Bud himself has said, this is not, it's not like a, you know, it's not a hard line. You're going to see at some point, somebody maybe in the forties in terms of blue chip ratio is going to manage to do it with great quarterback play and the right veteran leadership and whatever else. It's going to happen at some point, but you know, it's been a good line of demarcation. So people look at Florida State and they're you know in the in the 40s for the blue chip ratio instead of the you know 50s or 60s, and then you look at how they finish the year. Yeah, they they destroyed a a series of pretty bad teams in the second half of the year, which is what you expect for a team that's growing and is getting good. But then 500 or below 500 teams after their losses to Florida State, Florida and OU were the two the, the the last two games that Florida State played. And each of those was a one-score win. So you go in and you beat OU in the bowl game, in a competitive game, in a one-score game, that it wasn't clear you were going to win. And you get the impression that Florida State, yeah, they were improved last year. They won 10 games. But they finished the year with two one-score wins against 500 teams, or slightly below 500, what, seven and, uh, six and seven for OU, they were fortunate not to lose those games to 500 teams. So how much better is Florida state really? Are they in fact, the buzz saw that was blowing out bad teams, or is this a team that got fat against bad teams and just isn't quite good enough to play big boy football aside from being fortunate to win against LSU in a game where LSU muffed two punts and had a, had a uh, field goal blocked and all sorts of other things, right? I mean that or extra point blocked. So, um, you can see how this trans, how this how this works in terms of lots of reasons from the outside to question Florida State coming into this season. If you're if you're coming from a national side, because the the things that you normally look for, how did this team finish the last year? Did they destroy their opponent in the bowl game? No. Do they have above a tw- uh, a fifty percent blue chip ratio to demonstrate that they've been recruiting like crazy and they've got a super talented roster now? No. Well. Um, at least they're a blue blood that's been really successful lately. Right. So they've they're they, they're just continuing to demonstrate that they've been that good. Well, no, you can see why Florida State's in the uh, prove it category for a lot of people. It's just it's fair. And, you know, anyway, so I, I pointed this out actually in a couple messages uh, here and, and there was a, there were a couple responses here and this, this was one. So that makes a ton of sense because sports is all about perception. What was it about that four year period for Florida state between 2017 and 2021 that is so etched in everyone's memory? Is it how recent it was or the magnitude of those losses like Jacksonville state or, but how do we make sense also of Florida state's blue chip ratio being below 50%, but then having multiple players listed in top hundred lists. So a lot there too. Okay. First of all, I'm going to address the, the bit of the four year period. That is etched in everybody's memory because the real question that people have is, is Florida State the product of, you know, Bobby Bowden for many, many years and just having a Hall of Fame coach and then Jameis Winston and Jimbo Fisher, well, Jimbo Fisher catching lightning in the bottle with. Jameis Winston in a super loaded roster there in 2013. And of course, people will point out that Florida State ducked Alabama that year, not by their own fault, but because of kick six. And then of course, they barely beat Auburn that year. So how good was that 2013 team really? You know, it is of course an ACC FSU team. And, you know, the only ACC team that has really earned it in the mind of a lot of folks is is Clemson. And especially since Florida State has not been that good over those years. And so the freshness of it, The depth to which they had fallen, some questions about whether Mike Norvell really can get it done at this level. There's a lot of things there. Now, as far as the blue chip ratio. So first of all, if you're, if you're looking at how, why did, how does it make sense that Florida State has such a talented roster, but also with some really high hanging fruit guys. I mean, some guys that are really top level players, top hundred players, but aren't blue chip. Ratio above 50%. Well, first of all, blue chip ratio of 50% has to do with your top to bottom, you know, all 85 guys. So you could have six guys as Florida state does in the top hundred. And if you don't have any other blue chippers on your roster, then your blue chip ratio is still in, you know, what, eight or 9%, whatever that is. So, you know, that's, that's part of it. So you could be top heavy roster wise. And, and actually you'd kind of prefer that to being, uh, Full of a bunch of to being just below uh the blue chip ratio or just slightly above the blue chip ratio, but without any top end talent, without any of the five star type guys, you'd rather have be a little bit below 50% with a few of those difference makers than, you know, in the 50% range or a little bit above 50% with a bunch of guys that are, you know, blue chip, but not difference makers. So that's, that's something else to consider there. Now, the other thing is that the blue chip ratio Is really ultimately a, first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a good heuristic to look at, at national level data to be able to compare kind of in broad strokes, not deep dives into individual rosters for a variety of reasons, but on that larger vision, on that, in that larger vision through that, that larger lens, looking at, at the, at the landscape as a whole, it's a good proxy for overall talent potential on various rosters. Cause it tells you what kind of players in general are on given teams, but as with any sort of aggregate measure that is looking at big picture stuff, it's always going to have its weaknesses around the margins. There's, there's potential for a team that's a little bit below the, below the threshold to have some exceptional situations. And I think Florida state might well be one of those teams this year because there are times where the blue chip ratio can undervalue or just blue chip ratings in general can undervalue guys who had super high ceilings and then developed after getting into college. So if you think about this, Jared Verse was a no star prospect coming out of high school. No stars. Johnny Wilson was a three star transfer recruit. Now that's something if you remember I vigorously disagreed with at the time. I felt like both he and Span were I thought Span was a long term uh, roll of the dice, but a very high-level potential guy, and Wilson. And I thought Johnny Wilson was an easy, you know, high four-star type transfer, if not a five-star, with an immediate difference-making potential. But he was he was still a, thir- a three-star transfer recruit because he hadn't proved it on the field yet. So guys like that, like Verse and Wilson, they're they're anomalous, and they reflect Florida State and and its staff being very good evaluators in those cases. And this is where on the margins, if you have a a staff or program that has evaluated talent on the margins, especially well, and they've hit on a bunch of the the guys that are just below the four star threshold, then sometimes, and, and especially if those are high ceiling type three stars, then sometimes you can wind up with a, with a roster that punches above its weight. And I think that's where Florida state is. And a good example of, of how that works out here uh, came from David Hale's recent tweet where he, he uh, quote tweeted another, uh, another tweet uh, that observed that Florida State had six players in ESPN's top 100 players in the country list. And David Hale commented this. It wasn't but two to three years ago that Florida State had no one on the all ACC team. Now they've got six of the top hundred players in the country. Mike Norvell is a magician. Now, the more amazing thing about that is that every one of those six players, five of those six players, so every one of them except for Keon Coleman. Every one of Florida State's six players in the top hundred nationally, except for Keon Coleman was rated a three-star or below, either out of high school or as a transfer. Now, the other interesting thing is that all six are transfers. So all six are transfers in. So if you're going on the high school alone uh, blue-chip rankings, and Florida State's not going to get credit for those. Now, generally, the way that Bud does that, he just takes their, for the high school thing, he just takes their high school ra- rating and just transfers it over to their new team. So that that that's going to be fine. But if he does that, Jared Verse counts as a no-star. That's going to hurt. That's going to ding your, your, your blue chip ratio. Jordan Travis was a three-star Johnny Wilson was a four-star coming out of high school, but a three-star transfer. So when you adjust for transfers, you know, Bud experimented with that this year. And I think rightly so to say, okay, well, what if we include transfers on this? And then we just include the transfer rating. So some guys, you know, develop more in, in college and then they transfer up. So then those guys were maybe three stars or two stars or no stars coming out, but they are four stars as transfers. So, you know, then your Jared Verse, who is a no star, gets the four star so he doesn't hurt you in that. So that evens that out at least, right? But here's the thing. Johnny Wilson gets bumped down to a three star. He was a four star coming out of high school, but it was a three star as a transfer. So you now get credit for Jared Verse, but you don't get any for Johnny Wilson. So that ends up evening out. And then you have Fentrell Cypress, three-star in high school, Trey Benson, three-star in high school, and finally, Keon Coleman, who is a four-star in high school. That's crazy, isn't it? You've got six players in the top 100 in the country, number eight, Jordan Travis, number nine, Jared Verse, number 61, Johnny Wilson, which I think is a little low for him, Fentrell Cypress at 65, which I think is significantly too high for him. Trey Benson at too low at 69, and then Keon Coleman way too low at 86. And of those guys, the first five were all three-star or lower. And then if you go down the list, Fabian Lovett was a three-star. Ask LSU last year whether or not he played like a three-star. Jaheim Bell, three-star. Rodney Hill, three-star. Robert Scott, three-star. Josh Farmer, three-star. Renardo Green, three-star. Braden Fisk, three-star. Jeremiah Byers, three-star. It's a lot of guys toward the top end of your roster that are really high quality. I mean, if you re-ranked any of those players now, every one of those guys is a, th- is a four or five star in terms of, you know, how they have played in college. If you re-ranked them, they're all there. So all of those guys have outperformed their rankings or their ratings coming out, but none of them get give FSU any credit towards a blue chip ratio thing. So that's why I think it's fair to say that FSU may well be one of those teams that that could challenge that 50% threshold and legitimately compete for a title, despite not being above the magic 50% number, because they've got a, an unusual number of experienced. I mean, these are guys that have played too. I mean, Fabian Lovett is a senior, Trey Benson played a lot of football, Jaheem Bell, you know, Robert Scott. What is this? His fourth year as a starter? My goodness. Renardo Green. Renardo Green was a was a Jimbo Fisher. You know he was targeted by Jimbo Fisher. You know he he came in under under uh, Willie uh, Willie Taggart, right? Braden Fisk is twenty three years old. Jeremiah Byers, you know, multiple seasons as a starter. These are guys that are veterans as well. Florida State's got a veteran team. So you take that and you, you put that with those veterans outperforming what they were rated coming out of high school. And that's why you can legitimately say FSU probably punches above its, its blue chip ratio weight this year. But again, that's an exceptional situation. And on the aggregate, year in, year out, you're better off betting on the teams that have above a 50% threshold on the, on the blue chip ratio. And in general, betting on the, on the teams at the higher end of that. Because for the most part, the, the rankings and the ratings coming up from these services aren't bad. They do generally identify, on average, guys that are better than, than other guys. But every so often, and especially with the team that's, that's done exceptionally well in the transfer portal, you have guys that, uh, that could be undervalued. And you could have a, a roster made up of a lot of guys that were undervalued. And, you know, a guy like Bless Harris, I mean, a three-star there. And, and, and I think he's going to be really good. I mean, I think that's an NFL NFL player, a tackle. So there's a lot of that. And I think that's what's what's going on here. Now, again, Florida State has to go out and prove it. They're going to have to go out against an LSU team that did win its last game by 56 over a bowl over over a team with a winning record from the Big 10. That's a good team. It's a good football team. It's a team you beat last year, but it's a team that and it's a team that you should have beaten by double digits last year, but it's also a team that you were lucky to win against last year. So, you know, it all eventually kind of evens out there. But this is why Florida State's pushing its, has pushed its chips to the middle of the table. They they think they've got a team a team that can compete with anybody in the country, despite the, you know, the ratings or whatever else, because they've got a bunch of veterans and a bunch of veterans that have developed and a pretty good culture. All right. Final couple questions here. So this is another one from James Reeves. Hakeem Williams seems to be behind other young receivers. Are you worried or nah, he's just a fresh plenty, a frosh, plenty of time to grow and surge so i'm I'm kind of in neither camp uh, i I'm not worried because I think there are times where even in the in the footage that gets released to the public there are times where you can see the athleticism you can see why he was he was rated where he was you can see you go oh 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 yeah he's he's special special physically and he's got certain things that just some guys don't have there's that andre Johnson type. uh uh, size speed combo you know super physical but the thing is and this is something we talked about when evaluating him he's a guy that, that arrived he's the only guy in the class they recruited a bunch of wide receivers in the class that were ready to play you know these are these are guys that played wide receiver and were ready to go as wide receivers coming in you know dre jacobs goldie lawrence those are guys that, you know, they played wide receiver and had some polish to them coming in. Destin Hill, another guy that played a lot of wide receiver, had some polish coming in. You're not rolling the dice on those guys developing just because they're really good athletes. Now, it's not quite the same way with Hakeem. Hakeem is bigger and stronger than any of those guys, but he's also the by far the least developed wide receiver. I think that He's probably the least developed wide receiver that Mike's taken at Florida State. Generally Norvell recruits finished wide receivers thing with Hakeem is he's a, or closer to finished. I should say nobody's finished coming out of high school, but he, but guys that are, that are a little bit more polished, but Hakeem is more of a, of the kind of wide receiver that you'd see Jimbo Fisher really, really go after. And a lot of the top end teams go after where the ceiling is just stratospheric. But the floor is lower because this is a guy who came in as more of an athlete than a wide receiver. He's a guy who, you know, in high school, it's screen pass and let him break a bunch of tackles or, you know, run, run long and I'm going to throw it up and let you moss some guy. He, he didn't really have a whole lot. And first of all, he didn't have a quarterback that could throw so he's not running, you know, dig routes and slants and, uh, you know, out routes and all the things that you have to get good at. And he's not having to run routes against, you know, quality coverage that he played in a lower division. So he's had to learn a lot more about playing the position, first of all. And second of all, it usually takes the big guys longer to develop. And again, this is something that there, there there's been lots of misconceptions that I've I've talked about over the years in terms of of, of Jimbo with wide receivers. No. Oh, Jimbo's offense, you know, young, he never plays young wide receivers and it's too complicated to learn or whatever else. And I've said for years that that's nonsense. And one of the reasons that, that, that that's nonsense is when you take a Keith Gavin, it's just going to take him a little bit longer than if you take a, you know, Calvin Ridley. They're just different. Calvin Ridley's ready to play day one. Amari, Amari Cooper's ready to play day one. It doesn't matter where you're at. Sammy Watkins is ready to play day one. But some of these big jumbo athletes who, you know, played multiple positions in, in, in high school, played some running back or maybe quarterback, that sort of thing, those guys rarely come in ready to go as wide receivers. And oftentimes they take a year or two. Sometimes they don't actually really click until their third year. Then once they do click, oh my goodness, look out. They're, they're suddenly first rounders. And sometimes it ne- that light bulb never goes on. So that's why I would say I'm not worried, nor am I just saying, eh, nah, you know, he's, he's definitely going to get there. What I am saying is, yes, he is just a freshman. He's got plenty of time to grow, plenty of time to get there. And it's just a matter of whether he, he does. It's not a guarantee that he does, but I think you can see the physical tools that, that, that are the reason that you took him in the first place. The other thing that I think, and this is the, this is the part that I think is the, is the big question mark for him is, you know, he came from a program that didn't have, and from a division where he didn't have to work at the level of some of the guys who came in from, from bigger schools. You know, your St. Thomas Aquinas guys, they come in and they've been in a college level program already and they hit the ground and they're already used to being in that kind of shape, that kind of, those kind of requirements. Hakeem was just, you know, he's just a freak and in a low level and just never has had to work like he has to work at Florida State. So the question is is he going to be able to turn it on to to play at that level of passion and intensity, play and in, play out, to be able to develop like he needs to or not. That's really going to be the determining factor for him. If he gets that, then I'm betting on him to to leave Florida State and and be a high draft pick. If not, well then he won't hit a ceiling and you know they'll end up recruiting over him. So that's really and that's up to him. But I don't think there's any concerns about what he brings to the table for the long haul. But I don't think he's going to be a guy that you're going to depend on for a bunch this year because you've got a really really good and deep wide receiver group and he's just not quite ready. And that's that's okay. The good thing is that you brought him into that situation so that he's got an opportunity to learn. All right, we're going to go ahead and wrap there. As always, thanks to my sponsors. Thanks to all of you who uh support this show on Patreon and Everybody, uh, as as we're working through this uh this transition into some new things for this podcast, this is Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at ShenRealEstate.com and the research triangle of North Carolina. Garage makeovers in South Florida. And then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, you can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leiniger. Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Burt Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.